Well, it's good to open the word with you once again. I hope you have your your Bibles ready to go. We're going to start and mainly be in Luke chapter 18 this morning, but we'll look at other passages as well. We're continuing a a two-part series on prayer and why we should pray now more than ever. I've entitled uh, this series, Let Us Pray During Coronavirus. Or you might start to change it to let us pray during economic recession or let us pray during a possible depression. It doesn't matter what's going on in our world. We need to pray and we need to pray more. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 18. I want to read the passage to you and this will really set the tone. It's the the most common place that Jesus taught on the attitude of prayer. There are many things he said. There were many things that disciples would teach in their letters the epistles but this is where uh, we see the longest section on jesus teaching about the attitude the manner in which we should pray so luke 18 uh, verses 1 through 8 he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear god and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And The Lord Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, we've been looking at prayer. Prayer is vital in the Christian life. The 1800s preacher J.C. Ryle has written great commentary on the Gospels. And he said on prayer, he said, The subject of prayer ought always to be interesting to Christians. Prayer is the very life breath of true Christianity. Here it is that religion begins. Here it is it flourishes. Here it decays. Prayer is one of the first evidences of conversion. Neglect of prayer is the sure road to a fall. And in fact, J.C. Ryle wrote a little book on prayer. If you don't have it, I would recommend that you grab it. And it teaches how to pray. This idea of prayer, this theology of prayer, we might call it in the Bible, is important to know. Because prayer is so important to our Christian lives. The great reformer John Calvin said it was the chief exercise of faith. But once you're saved, prayer is the chief exercise of your faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones called prayer the highest activity of the human soul because you're talking to God. Prayer is at the center of of all true personal godliness. You, You can't be growing in sanctification and godliness unless you're praying and and growing in your prayer life. Well, why should we pray now? What's what's different about now? Well, because as Christians, this is a good time to remember how important prayer really is to us. You might have more time if you're staying at home or maybe working from home. 
Uh, you might just be stressed out. Maybe uh, you're a mom at home and you're sort of cooped up over the last few weeks and, and you need more time to spend with God because life has changed a bit. There are various reasons that the last few weeks have been stressful for us. But the solution is always to go to the word and go to prayer. We have to pray more. We should be praying at all times, though, not just when the stress hits us. That's when we most often want to seek God in prayer. But it's always a good time to pray. And so we should be praying not just during pandemics, not just during economic downturns, but we should be praying at all times. Now, I started last week and I said there would be three main points to this prayer series. We covered the first two last week. We looked at the model for prayer. That was Jesus himself. Jesus himself is the model because he prayed regularly. He prayed before important decisions and he prayed for strength in the work that God had given him to do. That's what he modeled for us. And then later, number two was the content of our prayer. Later in his ministry, Jesus taught the disciples, he taught the twelve, how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer because he taught them, but it's really the disciples' prayer. It's, it's all of our prayer that we need to look at and learn what we should pray. The content of prayer is what we should pray. And I said that the points there were focus on God first. In the Lord's Prayer, we see that. We should focus on God's kingdom after that, the kingdom that's coming, your kingdom come. We should ask for provision. We should ask God to forgive us. And we should ask for protection from sin. So now that we looked at the model and the content, this week I want to look at the manner of prayer. What what kind of thoughts and attitudes should we have going into prayer, while we're praying, between times of prayer? What should we think about prayer? And so in this passage that I read to you today, Jesus wants to show us. He wants to show his disciples how to continue in prayer as they wait and hope for him to come. As we wait, what are we to do? We're to pray. Of course, we're reading scripture, we're preaching scripture, we're worshiping. But we're to pray. And Jesus here tells us why and how the attitude of our hearts and minds ought to be as we pray. Now, to set the context for Luke 18, if you go back in chapter 17, he's just finished teaching on his second coming. And he's not gone into the detail he'll do later on the Mount of Olives, but he is talking about how one will be taken and and punished and one will be left and, and go into the kingdom is the idea there. And he's talking about what it's going to be like when he comes back. And he's saying, in the meantime, when he gets to chapter 18 here, in the meantime, as you wait, you must be continually praying to the Father. And it's not just any type of prayer here that he has in mind. He's saying, this is a prayer that as we are praying, we're looking forward to seeing Christ. We're looking forward to his return. While he delays, while the world seeks to put pressure on Christians, to persecute Christians, while the flesh, our flesh, seeks to tempt us and cause us to sin, while the devil is prowling around like a lion to cause us to stumble, we are to pray. We are to pray to our Father. So in this passage, Luke 18, uh, 1 through 8, Jesus is going to show us four attitudes to have. Four attitudes to have during prayer. The first one is urgency. We must think of prayer as something urgent. We must know that it's essential. We must believe it has to be done. If we don't think it's urgent, then we're not going to do it. 
If we don't think it's urgent, then we'll get up and check our emails, look at Facebook, go about our day, get all our chores done and our work done. And before you know it, it's time to lay down and go to sleep. We have to consider it urgent so that we will do it. We have to make it a priority. When something's urgent, it will happen. It will happen. And so you have to consider that in your life. This truly is an essential part of the Christian life. It's, it's a great privilege to be able to pray. Really one of the greatest privileges of the believer's life is to pray to God. There you have an intimate, a personal relationship with a God that unbelievers do not have. Unbelievers don't have this. We, we, we do as Christians, and that's what Jesus is getting at here, is that as, as believers we have access to the Father through Christ. Unbelievers don't have that. Because Christ died for us. Because Christ has canceled our sin debt. Because Christ has brought us to the Father. We can pray to Him. And so in verse 1, He speaks of this urgency. Now that we have access to God, it's necessary that we pray. In verse 1, now He was telling them a parable. So this comes right off of Him teaching on His second coming. He's telling them a parable. And the point of the parable is to show them that at all times they ought to pray. It is necessary, is a literal translation there. It is necessary for them to pray and to not lose heart. Now when Jesus tells a parable, often in the Gospels, he will state the point up front. And he'll say, here's why I'm telling the parable. Sometimes he leaves the end point, uh, he leaves it to the reader to figure out. And we have to interpret Scripture properly to figure out what he's getting at. But often he says, here's why I'm telling you. And, and that's what he does here. He's telling them a parable so that they will know they must pray. It's urgent. It's essential. And not to lose heart. Those two things go together. When you pray, you don't lose heart. But when you don't pray, you do lose heart. So he's explaining the need for prayer here. And notice that he says, at all times, they ought to pray. We ought to pray. It is necessary. We must pray. This verb for ought or necessary often is used in Luke for when Jesus is saying certain things must happen according to Scripture. It is necessary that Christ go and, and die on the cross, he says. It's necessary that he be delivered over to men, that they would kill him, and that three days later he would rise again. It's necessary that these things happen. Well, the same way it's necessary that we pray. Why is it so important? Why is it necessary that we pray? How does it connect to the subject of his second coming? Because as disciples, we have a temptation to lose heart. We're still human. We will always be human, but in the flesh, in this body, we're tempted to lose heart. We're tempted to give up. We're tempted to throw in the towel and just quit. We're tempted to at least be done for this day. I'm just, I'm just, I can't serve you anymore, God. I'm going to just be done. I'm checking out. Or I'm done. Sometimes people say I'm done with this life. And they want to check out. Well, Jesus says here, don't lose heart. You should pray. You should pray. And that keeps you from losing heart. Why, why would they lose heart? Go back to verse 22 in chapter 17. 17, 22 of Luke. He said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. 
They will say to you, look here, look there. Do not go away and do not run after them, Jesus says. So why would the disciples even start to lose heart? Because when Jesus is gone from them, they're going to want him to return and they're not going to see that in their lifetime. He's telling them, you're not going to see my return in your lifetime. You'll long for it though. You'll want things to be right upon the earth. You've seen all these miracles that I've done, Jesus says. All these great things that I've done and that I've taught. And you'll want that back. And you'll want to see it everywhere upon the earth. But you have to be patient. And not only that, it's not, it's not only do we have the, the natural disasters and illnesses and our aging bodies and sort of the, the world and temptations to deal with. We also have false teachers, he said in verse 23. And they're going to say, look here, look there. And it just becomes such a stress on a true believer to have so much false teaching going on in the world. If you're around it too much, it can just wear you down. If you have family members involved in it, it can just wear you out. And so you begin to lose heart. Begin to wonder how these people can even stay in business. Making millions of dollars saying that the coronavirus is gone. They're going to blow it away, Kenneth Copeland said. And yet it's still here, decreasing thankfully. But what false teachers are in this world today? And Jesus is saying during the time where believers are suffering and they're being persecuted and they're being mocked and they're being hurt by ungodly people, we ought to pray. Don't, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't think that God has forgotten about you, no matter what's going on in your life. Pray. Go to Him. Talk to your Heavenly Father. All of these things can try to persuade us to give up. All of these things can, can cause us to lose hope can cause us to faint. Some of the older translations say not to faint. We ought to pray to God instead. We shouldn't say things like, oh, what's the use in praying to God? What's the use? It's no use. He's not doing anything about it. He's checked out. He's, he's focused on other parts of the world and other people. He doesn't care about me. Well, if you stop praying to God because you, you think he doesn't answer, that's the wrong thinking. That's the wrong theology. We come to God knowing that he'll answer. We come to God trusting that he'll answer. We're going to address that later on in this parable, but it should be urgent. It's so important. We have to just make it a part of our life. We have, if you have to schedule it to make it happen, then do it. That's what we do with urgent things. If we have a deadline and something to turn in, something to get done by a certain date, then it happens. But other things that don't matter as much, we don't have a deadline, we push those off. We've got to treat prayer like it has a deadline. Every day there's a deadline. I've got to pray today. Before I go to sleep, I'm going to spend a large amount of time with the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to pray throughout the day. Ought to be our attitude. We see this with the Apostle Paul as he returns to the churches that he planted in Acts 14. In verse 22, he comes back through those churches. And it says that he was strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He's praying with them and he's strengthening them. He's praying for them. Because they're a brand new church. And they're already starting to suffer. And not just physically, but internally, emotionally, spiritually. Jesus said that we should expect a type of suffering in this life. You're going to suffer. Jesus suffered. They, they, they persecuted him. They're going to persecute us. He went through physical trials and tribulations. We'll go through physical trials and tribulations. He went through people mocking him. We'll go through people mocking us as well. That doesn't matter though. We should 
still come to the Father and ask Him to help us. It's got to be urgent in our life so that we will do it. James 5.3 says, Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Not think about praying. Consider it. It would be a good idea. No, again, it's must. It must happen because it's urgent. It has to happen now. Prayer is necessary. It's necessary for us until Christ comes back. Until he's right there in front of us. We must speak to him and we must speak to the Father. Throughout Paul's ministry, we see this. He says in Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. As soon as Paul heard about all the people being saved in Colossae, he says, we have continued to pray for you every day. He says in Romans 12.12 that Christians ought to be devoted to prayer. He says to the Thessalonians in in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Just make it a part of your life. It's so important that you will ensure that it's a part of your life. And he tells them again in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, we pray for you always. So if it's important, and it is, because Christ says it is, then we have to make it happen. It has to be considered urgent. We have to have this attitude that it's something that will happen today, and we ought to pray so we won't lose heart. The second attitude we ought to have is persistence. In what manner should we pray? We should pray in a persistent manner, one that continues to go to God even if we don't see our prayers answered. We have to continue to come to Him and ask of Him. If it's according to His will, we have to continue to ask Him for it. We've got to pray that God will bring justice on the earth. We have to pray that, that Christ would return and set up His kingdom. We have to pray that our family members would be converted. We have to pray that God would protect us from the evil one. We have to pray for our provision. We have to pray that we would stay strong in the faith. There are many things we need to pray for, but the point he's making here is to be persistent, to keep on praying about those things. To make this point, look at verse 2. He says here, In a certain city there was a judge. So a judge is a man who oversees civil cases between two parties. In ancient Israel, similar to today, they would have judges. But look how this judge is described here. He did not fear God and did not respect man. He could care less about anyone. He doesn't worry about what other people think. And he doesn't worry about what God thinks. This is a pagan, essentially. An unbeliever. One who fears no one. And he didn't have any fear of ruling unjustly. He had no fear of taking bribes. This man would do whatever he pleased, whatever people paid him to do. He had no problems with it at all. He had no concern for what the Bible says about truth, about justice. He's not persuaded by threats. He's not persuaded by authorities that are over him. He did exactly what his sinful heart wanted to do, and he's proud of it. He's proud of it. Verse 3, there was a widow in that same city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. So in the context, this is a a woman, a widow, who's lost her husband. And in the ancient world, that meant she had no provision. The husband went out and and worked and provided. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. There was no retirement fund. There was no pension plan. No 401k. She has nothing 
but probably some land and a little bit of money that her husband would have left her. And she's supposed to be taken care of by that estate. So whatever's left over when he dies, that should provide for her, hopefully. If he had any land, that would provide for her some. But often widows were, were very young. They were very young women. They would marry older men when they were young. And so they were still, you know, in the, in the prime of their life. And they're looking at some years of support after that. If they don't remarry, they need support. But the problem is that unjust men would come in and try to take from them. A widow looks unprotected, and so men would come and try to take their land, try to take their money. They would twist business deals and contracts to try to steal something from these widows. It was an easy target. And so she's before the judge, and she's saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Literally, her accuser here. Someone has accused her, and they're trying to take something away from her unjustly. Probably money or land. And if anyone should be given special consideration by a judge, it should be a widow. But this judge doesn't fear anyone. He doesn't care about a widow. It doesn't bother him. She keeps coming, and it doesn't bother him. But this evil judge will have none of the just laws of the land. He has no concern for justice at all. Now, without a means to live on, she's going to die. This is a death sentence for her. And look, it says she kept coming to him. She knew she would die. Her only hope is to go to this judge and get him to rule in her favor. And she kept on coming. In the Greek uh, tense, it's an imperfect verb here. And that indicates ongoing action in the past. It just continually happened day after day after day. She came before this judge. In verse 4, for a while he was unwilling. For a long while, the idea is he would not give in to her. But after a while, afterward, he said to himself, which is always an issue in Luke whenever somebody says to themselves something, it's usually not very good. Look how prideful he is. Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man. He's so proud, he's congratulating himself. Yet, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Why did he do it? Why did he rule in her favor? Because she kept coming back over and over and over. And the judge finally has had enough. He's had enough of her bothering him. So she's granted justice. The judge rules in her favor, which the story indicates is the right thing to do. Now, why does he do that? Well, he says, otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now, this is where uh, being able to translate from the Greek Gets, gives us some color to this black and white picture here. Uh, wear me out literally means to be boxed in the eye and to have a black eye, to be black and blue. If I don't rule in her favor, she's just going to continue to beat me and beat me, figuratively speaking here, because she's constantly annoying him with this request. She's wearing him down. Emotionally, he's had enough to the point where he's willing to submit. He's not worried about physically being hit, but he is worried that she's always going to come back day after day, and he's had enough. I think if you're a parent, you probably know what this feels like, where your kids continually come to you over and over with the request, and at some point, you're just willing to give them what they want as long as it's not going to harm them because they've asked so many times. Well, like this widow, Jesus is saying, uh, we should be persistent in prayer. 
continually coming to God, as long as it's in his will, and we know that it is because we know scripture, and so we're praying things that he's told us to pray, but we're not getting an answer. We've got to be persistent. We've got to keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. If somebody has been unjust to us, then we have to keep asking God for that ruling to be overturned. If churches can't meet right now, we've got to keep asking God that churches can meet very soon. If we're not being provided for, for whatever reason, you lose your job or your hours have been cut at work or things are stressful in your family and your marriage with your kids, we've got to keep coming to God. We've got to keep asking. Continue on. It's not wrong to keep coming to God. It is if you don't have faith. That's our next point we're going to look at. But it's not wrong to keep coming to God if you know it's according to His will. Now, you've got to know Scripture to know it's according to His will. Let's go back to Luke chapter 11. We turn back to Luke 11, 11, 9. Chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus mentions prayer again here. Often verses like this are taken as evangelistic verses. But He's talking about prayer and asking God uh, for help. Specifically, the believer asking God for help. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Now he's talking to his disciples here. And he's saying, look for what you need and what you're asking for and and it will be found. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? That wouldn't be right. That's not loving. Fathers who love their children don't don't turn around and pull out a snake instead of something to eat. You know, you want some dinner? Oh, here's a snake that's going to bite you. Or if he has asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? No loving father is going to do that. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. We as humans are born with an evil sin nature. Even though we might be redeemed now, We still have that flesh. We still have the worldly ideas and thoughts. And Jesus says, even though people are at heart sinful, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, they hadn't received the Spirit yet, but they're going to. And so he's he's priming them for that, telling them to ask for things from God, to ask for things, to ask for blessings. And we should do the same. We should be persistent. Paul says in Philippians, along the same lines here, he says, Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Instead of being anxious, we ought to be persistent in prayer. Well, we've looked at urgent. We've looked at persistent. Now let's look at faith. Number three is faith. We, we have to have faith when we pray. We can't say that we're Christians and pray and not believe that God would ever answer us. We can't think, well, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and pray, but God's probably never, ever going to answer me in this prayer. That's not having faith. We've got to trust that God will answer it. If it's according to his will, he will answer it. Verse 6, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. In other words, learn from this parable. 
Christians learn from this parable, he says. Think about how this judge applies to God in prayer. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater, just like Jesus did with a father who doesn't give his his kids a snake or a scorpion instead of food. Well, this judge is unrighteous. And the point's not that God is unrighteous. No, may it never be. The point is, if this unrighteous judge will answer that widow because she continues to come, well, God certainly will. Isn't he better than the unrighteous judge? Isn't God righteous and just? Of course he would answer our prayers. And so we have this godless, corrupt, wicked judge who responds to this widow. This judge has no relationship at all to the widow. But he still responds. We have a relationship with God. We're adopted into the family. He is our father. Verse 7, now, will God not bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? So the main focus here is justice. That's what they're crying out to him for. The elect are crying to God, asking him to do something about the injustice that is upon Christians. That still happens today. We ought to pray for God's justice. But this teaching applies to all things that we ask for. We ought to have faith. We ought to have faith, whether it's justice, whether it's our provision, whether it's someone to be saved, whether it's our church to be blessed, whether it's anything that's in the scriptures that we should pray for. Jesus is very emphatic when he says that, well, will God not bring about justice for his elect? Very emphatic. He's saying in, in the original, if we were to literally translate it, it could never, ever be possible that God would not carry out justice for his elect. It's not even possible. If it's according to God's will and you ask, God will do something about it. Now, it may not be what you want. It may not be worked out the way you think it would be worked out, but God will do something about it. It may not be right away. He may want us to go through certain things for a time, but he will answer or he will wait and answer. Or he's not answering because it's not according to his will. Now, who are these elect here? That's important for us. Sometimes this word elect comes up in Scripture. People don't always like to see it, but it's important that we understand what it is. Who are the elect who are crying to him day and night? These are his chosen ones. That's what elect means. It means to be chosen by God, to be elected by God. Not that God votes for us like we elect a representative, but God chooses some whom he will save. Those whom Paul writes to in his epistles are, he often calls, elect, chosen by God, loved and chosen by God before the foundation of the world. We saw that in Ephesians 1. He says they've been predestined in Ephesians 1, irresistibly called, justified in Romans 8, 28 through 30. They've been redeemed by Christ. Who are the elect? They're the ones that will be eternally secured by God. The elect are the ones who will be redeemed. The elect are the ones who either are currently trusting in Christ or will in their lifetime eventually trust in Christ. They're God's chosen ones, His people that He brings to saving faith. And here they're waiting and waiting for Him to bring about justice. Up until the very last day, up until Christ returns. We even see this in the tribulation. If you go to Revelation 6, they're still praying to God even though Their souls in heaven, their body has been killed. They're still praying to God. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. 
this gives us a picture of how prayer ought to continue all the way until Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. Revelation 6, 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw the Apostle John is having a vision and he sees underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So during this great tribulation, there are Christians being killed and they've been slain. Their souls are pictured here underneath the altar in heaven and they cry out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? So they're praying to God. They're crying out to him, even though their soul's in heaven. And they're crying out to God and say, how long? You're, you're holy, you're true. But how long will this happen? How long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So they're crying out for God's justice. And he tells them, wait a little while longer. They need to wait. Even though physically their body has already died, they want to be resurrected. They want to be with Christ upon the earth. And they want justice to come about. Should we pray for God's justice? Yes. Should we pray for those unbelievers who have mocked us and persecuted us to be saved as well? Yes. It's not either or. We don't, we don't pray for God's justice and or pray or pray that they'll be saved. It's both. It's both and. We both pray God's justice would come upon the earth and we pray that unbelievers would be saved. Those very ones who will receive God's justice if they don't believe. Now it says here, Jesus says in Luke 18 that they pray day and night. The elect pray day and night. Does this describe our prayer life? Does it describe your prayer life? That you pray day and night? Are you calling to God throughout the day? Regularly? Continually? This is what the elect of God do. Sometimes people say, I don't know if I'm elect, Pastor. How do I know? How do I know? Well, here's one way you know. The elect pray to God all the time. Not every second of the day are you in a ball on the floor praying. That's not his point. The point is that you have a regular life of prayer. That's what the elect do. They call out to God on a regular basis. And he will not delay over them. It says, will he delay long over them? It's sort of a rhetorical question. God's not going to delay forever. If you're praying to God and you're asking him for something, he'll either give it to you in this life and the next life, or it's not according to his will. He's not going to delay over them. And the idea here even is Jesus is saying, in this life, God's not going to delay very long. He will give it. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. If you pray for this, it will happen quickly. God will bring about justice. It will be quick in God's time frame. In God's time frame, not, not ours. Sometimes we get upset at God. He didn't do it fast enough for us. 2 Peter 3.8 Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's talking to the church. Second Peter is written to believers. There's some believers that need to repent. Otherwise, 
they will perish. They'll show themselves not to be truly saved. And, and God is outside of time. He will bring it about quickly in his time frame. Well, let's look at a couple of other passages on not losing heart. If you're familiar with James, you probably wondered if we were going to go there. James chapter 1 and verse 5. In James 1, 5, he's addressing this same idea about faith in prayer. We have to know that God will answer us. We have to. That's part of having faith in Christ. And in James 1, 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, so the thing to ask for here in prayer is wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you lack something that you need, if you lack something that God has told you you need in this life, like wisdom or provision or love for him or all the things that we need, then ask him and he will give it to you. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded there means two-faced. He says one thing, but he actually believes something else. He's got two minds. One says outwardly, yes, God, please give me this. But the other mind is saying, I don't believe God would do that. Or I don't believe God can do that. We shouldn't be like that. We have to have faith. When we pray, we are praying that God will do it. When we pray for our children and our, our parents who are unsaved and our extended family members who are unsaved, we have to believe that God will do it. Now, he may not. That's his prerogative. But we have to believe that he will. We must pray with an expectation, with a hope. Go to 1 John 5.14. 1 John 5.14. The same idea is picked up by the Apostle John in some of his later writings. And we see in, in 1 John 5.14 where he says, or he's writing to the church, a church that's had some problems and been split. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. How do you know God will answer you? You pray according to his will. How do you know God's will? You read the Bible because he has given us his prescriptive will. It's like a prescription. When you go to the drugstore, drug you have a prescription to get it filled well, this is God's prescription to us. And it tells us how to live as his people. And it tells us everything that he wants us to do. Everything that he wills us to do. So you know God's will. You ask him in faith. And he'll give it. Promises all over scripture. Why do we doubt this? We're Christians. We're believers. We don't doubt that God can save us. But sometimes we doubt that God can answer our prayer. Putting his son on the cross was the greatest thing that God has done for us. Anything we ask of him is going to be easy for him to accomplish. God can do anything. God can do all things. So we looked at the fact that we must have faith. But fourthly, we also should have perseverance. Not only should we pray in an urgent manner. Not only should we persistently pray. Not only should we have faith when we pray, but we should persevere in 
prayer. We should not give up. A believer that prays continually throughout their life is demonstrating their faith in action. You know, it's pretty easy if you're maybe more intellectual, or you like to read, or you like to study, or you like to debate. It's pretty easy just to read the Bible. It's much harder to pray. Reading is more passive than than prayer. Although I think if you study the Bible, it's not all that passive, of course. You're, you're getting in there with your tools. But prayer is just your own words going up to God. You, you don't have anything to, to work with. Your words aren't inspired like the words of Scripture. But we've got to keep doing it. We must persevere. And it's through both faith and prayer that we persevere until the kingdom comes. That's the idea that Jesus is getting at at the end here of this parable. Same idea that Paul has in Ephesians 6.18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. You see how he mentioned prayer twice? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We've got to be praying. What are we praying about? Praying that we will persevere, that we will push forward. And we will ask for all the saints to do the same. We've got to have that attitude. We have to when we pray. So here's how Jesus shows it at the end of the parable here, Luke 18, 8. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, what does that question have to do with prayer? If we took it out of context, we just think, well, Jesus is saying when he comes back, will anybody believe in him? Well, that is what he's saying, but he's connecting it to prayer here. It comes on the end of this parable. And so he's turning the table on his disciples with this question. It's not a question Jesus wants answered in his mind. Jesus knows everyone who will be saved, everyone who has been saved, everyone who's saved now. He knows all things that will happen. It's a rhetorical question to get us to think and act upon it. It's a way of exhorting his followers to endure in faith. That's what you do. You ask people questions and it makes them think. And he's he's saying in a very strong way. When the Son of Man comes back, Will he find anyone with faith on the earth? In other words, the issue is not God's faithfulness. Of course God will answer our prayers. That's not even a question. You know what the real question is? Will believers, people who call themselves Christians, remain faithful, continue to pray, continue to follow Christ until he comes? The issue is not with God's faithfulness, it's with ours. Are we going to continue in faith and prayer till the end. The burden's on us. We need to show our faithfulness. We don't need to see God's faithfulness proved. We have a whole book that proves that. We have a whole creation that proves God's faithfulness. What about our faithfulness? If Christ came back now, would he find us praying? Would he find us laying hold of the promises that God has given us in Scripture and praying those promises back to God? God doesn't require us to wait without hope. He gives, he gives us hope all throughout the Bible. He wants us to wait expectantly. He wants us to wait with some glimpses of what we will see, what is to come. He gives us just enough that we can look forward to and gives us plenty now to help us persevere. Would Christ find you in prayer regularly if he came back now? Remember what he taught his disciples? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. 
It's right up there at the top of the prayer. If you start off with focusing on God, and then you turn to focus on the kingdom coming, that God's reign would be upon the earth. Are we praying and praying and praying until Christ returns? We have to persevere. Not just be persistent in the prayers we ask, but persevere throughout the Christian life in both our faith and trust in Christ and in our prayer life. Will you be faithful, Jesus is saying. Will you be faithful in prayer until I come back? Will will you endure with faith until I return? Are you going to panic? Are you going to act like the world? Are you going to worry and forget about prayer and trust in government and trust in medicine and trust in science and trust in your family and and trust in your savings, trust in your, your bank account and your job and your health? All of those things can be taken away any moment. Are we going to panic like the world? Are we going to trust and pray to God? Faith and prayer are are intertwined in the believer's life. Faith makes us want to pray. We have saving faith in Christ. That makes us want to pray. And then prayer strengthens our faith so that we can persevere. They go together. Let us pray. What a time for prayer right now. The whole world is asking questions. The whole country is wondering what's going on, especially with all the studies coming out now about what's actually been going on in the last few months. Protests are starting to occur because people want to go back to work. What a great time to pray. What a great time to pray for others, to pray for our church. What a great time to gather together again and worship soon. But let's pray to God right now that those things would happen. Lord, we do ask, we ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would persevere us. Give us faith when we pray, knowing that you will answer us. Lord, let us make it urgent in our life and let us persist in prayer. We pray for our city. We pray for our state. or We pray for our country. We pray for the world. That we would fear you more than our health, or losing our health. We would fear you more than disease or sickness. We would fear you, God, more than death. We pray, Lord, that we can gather together, worship you in person, and that we would remember how important the church is. Let us pray for the church, this church, all true churches in the world. Let us pray that we would persevere in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.